Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Well College Podcast, where we provide tools to help our college students grow in Christlikeness. So uh, tune in as we dive into today's episode, where we will be discussing life um, after college. So thanks for tuning in. Okay, everybody, welcome to this week's episode. Um, this is the second time that we have a guest. We have with us Audrey. Uh, she, I'll just let you, I'll just let Audrey tell you about her life. But um, the the heart behind this, as I told you uh, last episode, is that we, um, you know, in a lot of ways, simplify life after college. Um, I realized that whenever I graduated college, I was given a lot of tools that seemed very, um, in a lot of ways, very unpractical or, or unrealistic for whenever I graduated college. So the heart behind this is, again, to have two real broken people in front of you just telling you um, what is how does it look like for, for us. Um, again, we're not super old, we're not super wise, but what we do have is some sort of experience. Um, that hopefully is helpful to you. So, Audrey, would you? How long has it been since you graduated college? I graduated in May 2018. Okay. From Hard University. That's not that long ago. It's really. Long <laughs> <ago>. <laughs> it's like what two two years something like that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so great. Well, I love them even more because then that means that if anything, you're just the perfect person to talk to us <laughs> about I'm post fresh meat still enough college life. Yeah. But um, yeah, would you mind just telling us a little bit about um, yourself, where you're from, uh, family? I don't know, just whatever. Yeah, so my name is Audrey Barlow. I grew up in just north of Dallas with my family. I have a mom and dad, and I am a triplet. So I have a brother and a sister. We were born a minute apart. Um, Do you feel like you can just talk to them, tell it? telepathically is that what yeah, it is yeah it, um yes i definitely can. we are having a conversation right now um no we, we definitely got a lot closer after we moved out mm-hmm. um we of course we grew up in a pretty small house um in the suburbs of plano and we it was great we always had um play dates we also had a lot of catholic neighbors who had a lot of kids and so we just had like a whole party friends everywhere on our street. yeah it was great Makes um, me think of the movie uh, Dennis the Menace. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Which one of us was Dennis? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I grew up with a lot of kids on our street. We were very active, um, loved sports, had a whole system of not getting hit by cars in our street. It was great. It was kind of an idyllic life um, in terms of a suburban lifestyle. Um, we were not, like I said, we were not incredibly close um, growing up in the sense that we didn't really share ourselves emotionally with each other or spiritually with each other. We were um, kind of that surface level relationship, but when we, for some reason, when we all geographically moved far away from each other, um, the Lord just blessed our relationships and we've, we've gotten really close. Um, we're 24 years old. So kind of at that mid stage where older adults still don't expect that much of you but the younger people think that you've got it figured out uh-huh. so it's this great um awesome middle ground to be in um but yeah my brother is finishing up college at okay. OU um bless his heart he's a super duper senior 
Uh, he's finishing those, so gosh darn it, if you're a fifth year senior, you know, it it works. That's awesome. Uh, That's fair. And then my sister is so great. in Kansas City on lockdown, um, working on paying off her student loans to eventually work with a nonprofit refugee organization in Syria. And so she's cool. got an amazing heart for the people. Awesome. Um, and so, and then there's me. I'm in Abilene, um, thriving metropolis of Abilene. <laughs> I came from Plano to Abilene for school, for college, and Harden Simmons University. I chose Harden Simmons very late in the game, and he probably should have had it figured out by then in high school. Um, but I came originally because they were founding a PA school at Harden Simmons. Um, switched halfway through my first semester. Um, I switched four majors in about 45 minutes Golly. Um, on that day, October 28th, 2014. <laughs> I remember the day. It was stressful. But... Also, Boju was telling us last <laughs> week that the way that he chose his major was he basically walked in after taking all the generic classes, you know, uh-huh. he walks in and then the counselor's like, dude, you got to pick a major. It can't be on the clear forever. And he was like, tell me which one has less, least amount of math. And she was like, communication saying, he was like, sign me up. So that makes sense. That's a man who knows what he needs and knows what he's doing. Yes, absolutely. Um, (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, so I came, um, switched four times in 45 minutes, had a a massive existential crisis, um, and then settled on nursing. And the Lord kind of took my bungling um, sense of control and turned it into um, what I truly believe is, is is a calling. I love nursing. I love... Um, being a critical care nurse, it's something that I see myself doing for my whole life, um, or at least a big part of it. Um, super fulfilled in it. Um, but I came through Harden Simmons all four years as a traditional student. Um, got to be a part of some really cool organizations in college. I didn't mention this earlier, but um, was part of a program that traveled to national parks on all of our breaks. Yeah. We, yeah, we lived together in this probably should be condemned part of Harden Simmons campus. It's above the Welcome Center, for those of you who know the campus. Um, we lived on those floors. It was co-ed, but we all had, we had separate wings with a giant wall they came and built while we were living there in between us to keep us separate because it's a Baptist university. Um, and we got to travel and we did recycling contracts and pay for our own travel and um, got to visit um, 46 of um, like 58 national parks in the U.S. Um, which which one's your favorite? I, oh my goodness, it just depends on the state. The whole state of Utah has, um, I think, six national parks in it, and is one of the most gorgeous and underrated states in the in, in the country. And I think everyone should go there. And I love Zion National Park. If anyone has the opportunity to go and hike Angels Landing, please do it. But I'm really off topic. So that I those are the things that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about nursing. And passionate about hiking and natural areas, mm-hmm. seeing creation and being in it. Cool, um, awesome. Well, um, Audrey, here's a, the first question that I wanted to ask you. It's pretty generic. It's not that complicated, but um, what is something that surprised you about life after college? I think how. I think in college and actually every life stage before that, you look at the adults who are going about their adult lives and you, we kind of delineate between them and us. We think, you know, they've got it together at some other level than we do. They've, you know, they pay taxes. They, they know what 
Congress is. Like, they they must be at a different <laughs> level than us. And then I got to college. And this is not to disparage them or, or you know, be negative about them at all. But they, they know just as little about life as we do. And they're, I think, in general, a lot of adults, especially if you go into a job where you're working with people who are older than you or have been at the job longer, it's not as hard as you think to build relationships with them and have a rapport with them. Um, because guess what? You're an adult now too. And mm-hmm. the age separation when you're a professional be, in any kind of work becomes much less um, robust. And so I think I was surprised how easy it was to develop relationships with and work with older, older adults who have been at the job longer than I had. And I think there's confidence that needs to come into it from our part, but part of it is just understanding that we don't know what we're doing either. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Like how much, realizing how much you don't know is a universally human trait that I think adults get better at as they get older if they have any kind of healthy outlook on life. Yeah, you just learn how to, I I hate saying this, but you kind of learn just fake it till you make it. I mean, there is a legitimate application of that skill. Yes. I think... (laughs) Getting thrown into it and learning how to work it out, I think, is should be the motto of adult life. I think, for me, going into a hospital setting it could be a little different because I was immediately in charge of people's lives and making mistakes, you know, had potentially fatal consequences right off the bat. I had a, an enormous amount of support from the people that I worked with, and um, I think another universal thing that I found helped me in going into ICU nursing straight out of nursing school was you it's good to be and almost responsible to be a little scared as you go in and because that prevents you from being cocky and I think that's something that was reflected from my managers and my preceptors and saying like I would be more scared of a new grad or a new nurse who thought they had it all together and I think that is a very universal trait Mm -hmm. of understanding that you don't know anything that everything up to this point, to an extent, has been theoretical, and it's okay that you don't, as long as you're willing to do the work needed to learn. And so I think that's that was a very freeing thing, but that was also pretty surprising because, number one, everyone was okay with that, um, for the most part, who were more experienced than me, they were willing to teach me. Um, and number two, even if they hadn't been, it's kind of the most responsible stance you can take as a new adult new grad going into a new workplace or a new job or post-grad is understanding that you really don't know anything yet and that's okay and get excited to learn and do the work. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember whenever I started my first job out of college, there was this sort of feeling that I had to knew or portray more like Mm -hmm. that I had it all put together. Mm -hmm. And in your case, you're talking about like, you know, people potentially dying right yeah. um uh, my, my aspect was a little bit more simple uh but yet not less important or whatever however you were that uh yeah. in in the sense that uh you know because i did didn't ask for help mm-hmm. you know people in a lot of ways started suffering the consequences of my decisions when in reality it was just like just ask for help yeah seriously just yeah. ask for advice, ask for help, find somebody who's been doing it for a long time mm-hmm. and just ask for help. And there's an aspect of humility there that I feel like um, portrays the character of God and the people that we ought to yeah. be, right? The, the people who ask for help and are not, you know, our identity is not tied up in, 
you know, how successful we are in the first month of work, right? But rather just kind of like sitting back and and allowing yourself to make a lot of mistakes and, and prepare yeah. to say a lot of I'm sorry's and also ask for a lot of help. Yeah. You do no one any favors by pretending you know something when you don't. In fact, like you said, like you could kill someone. You know, your patient doesn't appreciate when you fake it till you make it. When it's, <laughs> when it's a life or death situation, there's discernment there when you fake it till you make it. But yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think um, competence comes from confidence and input from people who are better at it than you. And the ability to ask for help, and if you get rejected from the per- first person you ask for help from, going and asking someone else, um, I think cannot be overstated. Because how else are you going to learn? Yeah. Um, you know, um, even in college, I remember talking to my dean or something in nursing school um, about a test that I'd gotten back and had done poorly on, which is not unusual in nursing school. Um, and she asked me, like, what would be helpful to you to do better next time? And I told her, and it was kind of the first time I'd been that, that transparent with her. I said, I'm horrible at asking for help. I grew up in a house that didn't encourage that. It didn't facilitate um, being vulnerable in that way and not performing constantly. And so I've, I've constantly been someone who wants to control um, my perception amongst other people and my performance. And so um, I told her that and she was thankfully um, a person who was able to do with that information what I hope a lot of more experienced people would do with y'all is, is turn back and encourage me and acknowledge like, yes, this is something we need to grow out of. Yeah. Here's how I'm going to help you do that. And um, I don't know, the Lord really used that person um, to set me up for success in the workplace and understanding it's not a re- negative reflection on your character for you to not know something um, or even for you to fail horribly at something um, as long as you are willing to humble yourself and ask for help for it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, humility is just an aspect of, you know, being a believer, really. Um, Because it portrays so much of the character of God towards Mm -hmm. us, right? Especially with Jesus. Jesus being the first one, right? Absolutely. That did not count himself (laughs) equal, but rather made himself less. So there's an aspect there of asking for help. And and I love that. I I wish somebody would have told me that. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish somebody would have given me permission to just ask for help. Yeah. And uh, really, I mean, I think the root of that problem, I think, in humanity is rooted in where we find our value. And if your value is in the promises and the character of Jesus and the work that he has done and, you know, the authority he has over your life and your value, then it's not going to be a big deal to go to a human being and ask them for help and potentially be made fun of or looked down upon or, you know or even responded to with positivity. Um, it, it's all about where your value was, and that's something that I had to learn the hard way for a lot of years, and I'm still working on, is if your value is secure in Jesus, then there's really nothing negative about mm-hmm. not knowing what you're doing. <laughs> yes, I love that. Awesome. Well, um, let's see here one other question that I had. Um, what sort of, and, and this pertains more in regards to how to live intentionally after college. So in college, you have all this time. It's, uh, you know, you have in between periods of classes, uh, you have breaks, summer, you have, 
you know, spring break. You have multiple, you know, spaces where you just have that free Mm -hmm. time. Uh, And with a lot of that comes a lot of flexibility, right? You have the flexibility to, you know, stay up till three in the morning if you want to, because guess what? You don't have class until 9.30 or 10. So you can totally wing it. But uh, whenever you transition out of college, it seems to me that my time was... In a lot of ways, if you're not careful with it, it becomes diluted. And I know that college students have experienced that, right? All of us mm-hmm. uh, in college were in some sort of uh, fraternity or some sort of club or volunteering in our church or just friends, whatever. And suddenly you wake up, you know, you're three-fourths done with the semester and you're like, I can't keep up with all of this. So there's an aspect in which you understand mm-hmm. that uh, that time gets diluted and post-college life, I feel like that's also true. Yeah. That if you're not intentional with the time that you have in a lot of ways, it'll just kind of go to waste. Uh, so uh, the question that I wanted to ask you is, what sort of practices do you um, have in your life to pursue the Lord and pursue community or pursue others? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the biggest period aspects that I've had to grow in since leaving college and I think part of college we have a lot of free time but there is an overlying structure and built-in community that exists in a college setting um, that you lose once you leave college to to the greatest extent and so you know whereas before you had college designed events and groups and you know things that bound you together um, that provided that community all of a sudden now you kind of are on your own to create that with people um, as much as you can on top of these new responsibilities you have of you know feeding yourself and paying taxes and I hope and (laughs) I hope you're paying your taxes Um, yes not um, optional by the way guys (laughs) Um, that's hilarious just living an adult life yeah it becomes it's at least for me I work three or four days a week um, 12 to 14 hours a day on those three days and then I've got a couple of days off um, generally three to four days off a week um, but those kind of whiplashes of time either I'm furious, furiously active and not available to any other aspect of my life other than work or I have nothing planned except what I create for myself a, a community creates a problem when um, you kind of relied on this this stable structure of Mm -hmm. college life and society um, such as it is prior to this point and so there is a temptation to either do nothing or everything with that free time and not saying either one is necessarily negative but um, it kind of makes you aware of where your heart lies um, where your priorities are and so for me I found myself I was living alone which is the best thing um, for me, um, but I really enjoyed it, but I found myself in this kind of self-imposed isolation when I was off, which was great for the first day, um, off after work, but then it became, you know, I was a hermit on the days that I wasn't working, wasn't being poured into, wasn't pouring into other people, and that's kind of a draining lifestyle in and of itself, I mean, mm-hmm. you've got the neighbor's cat and Netflix, and that's about it, and so, um, and the cat's not always available. So. Yeah, well, and the cat, is, who wants to hang out around a yeah, cat? Yeah, it's just a very fickle personality. 
<laughs> but and so there was a time that I was just struggling um, with a lot of loneliness. I was kind of in one way burnt out from all of the excessive socialization of um, college and I was in leadership positions at the end there and I was an RA of sorts um, so I was leading younger students and um, I was just giving so much of myself to them so it was in one way necessary that I not have that responsibility mm-hmm. for a while because I was burned out but you swing that too far in the other direction and I was not being poured into nor was I pouring out which is which are both you know commands of the Lord in order to honor him mm-hmm. and so it starts with um, you have to have a community of believers who are challenging you and so the most obvious source of that is a church a local church of human beings that you go to and you don't just go on Sundays but you commit to build relationship with um, and study the word and most churches have some type of small group situation that you know facilitates that and so went with Santi's GC which I started going to in college let's go um, um, and it was I need to ask you about that later oh yeah (laughs) it was a really big blessing in college and I found it um, it was something that continued out of college into adult life. I keep wanting to say real life, but... <laughs> um, well, in adult life, is weird, too, because I feel like in a lot of ways, college has become this, you know, in-between time that is just kind of mm-hmm. blank, and it's going nowhere. You're not in high school, but you're also not an adult. Yeah. But it's like 50 years ago, not, not even that, in the Vietnam War in, like, the 1970s. <laughs> dude, you were 18, you were going to war. Going to so. War, yeah. Yeah. So it's the, like the modern college experience is actually an extremely new phenomenon. Yes, absolutely. We weren't necessarily designed for it. For, absolutely. Yeah. So I think understanding that there is a balance between putting the work into relationships and taking enough time for you to have a personal and quiet relationship with the Lord and spend time by yourself and do things in the quiet and the stillness that are mm-hmm. um, for your growth and for your joy and renewal um, was a huge balance to strike. It's not something that you ever find the sweet spot and just stay there. Um, It's Mm -hmm. constantly evolving. And so really being honest with my small group about how I wasn't doing that and I wanted to and I was willing to commit myself to that, um, not just to my small group, but to individual friends who were adults. Um, I still maintain some college friendships like I said, I had been an RA for some younger students who were still in college. Um, and so there was a place for that. But I found myself meeting people who were in my same stage of life, who were struggling with the things that I was struggling with, who were also pursuing the Lord. And this is separate from reaching unsaved people. And there is a difference, and both sides are necessary. Um, but for my own growth and encouragement, having people who were at the same stage of life or more mature (laughs) that's also very essential um and being honest with them i think that's one of the hardest things we can do is be honest because i sucked at that um still suck at that um can i say that on this absolutely (laughs) (laughs) wait (laughs) um what is this right um but yeah being honest with how much you are bad at doing the things that the lord is calling you to do Mm -hmm. is so important and having them tell you the same and then having them tell you where they're you know thriving and being strong in so that you can reciprocate and you iron sharpens iron and that's a very biblical concept and so Mm -hmm. i think also sorry first and foremost 
manage your expectations. We started, <laughs> Santi and I started off by saying we were not even recording yet. And we were like, just lower your expectations a bit, guys. Like, you do not have to do everything. You do not have to be Corey Ten Boom two years out of college. That is not the expectation. Um, and to have that expectation, I think, is to give yourself too much credit. Um, but so, yeah, initially start there. Mm-hmm. Seek out people that will encourage you and do the work. Yeah, there's a lot of time after college that you just kind of get to to try and fail. I love that language. Yeah. Uh, this is a time to fail. Mm-hmm. Not uh, because you're failing because you're incompetent or whatever, but you're failing because you don't know. And there's an aspect in which, you know, you deal with a lot of theory and now you're going into, you know, the world of the working world, let's mm-hmm. call it that. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, opportunities there to actually grow in humility and ask for help and say hey i don't know how to do this and Mm -hmm. it's really awesome whenever we get to ask for help and somebody else says dude i am there except i am 35 or i am 29 or something like that i i love i love whenever college students have some sort of experience that i can identify with now because that just means you get eight years on me you you can change (laughs) and and you can constantly surrender that to the spirit in community and, and have a group of people like you were encouraging us before me going on this rant, um, right? Uh, you can have people around you that yeah. challenge you towards continuing to pursue Christ in yeah. all things and live intentionally. So so th- I think that's a really, really good advice, you know, uh, finding a group of people who will challenge you to, to pursue to be, Jesus. It doesn't have to be 15 people. It doesn't even have to be four people. It can be those two or three individuals who, you know, really challenge and and work on you and with you. My experience has been that the lower the amount of people, the better the quality it is. I agree. If that makes sense. Um, Cool. Well, um, in regards to being a nurse, how does the kingdom of God um, intercept or, or interact with you as a nurse mm-hmm. how do you see the kingdom of god in the hospital mm-hmm. um how how is being a nurse a um a venue for you to expand the kingdom of god things like yeah. of that sort what do you think well i think first of all i'll be talking about me as a nurse because that's that's what i know that's what i am but i think in the vein of nothing secular nothing sick everything sacred um how better are we expected to share the gospel than in the area that we are most passionate about or than in the area that we have the most day-to-day influence in? And so I think going into this, whatever whatever job, whatever postgraduate thing that you find yourself doing, um, making a home, marrying, going to grad school, whatever, you are responsible for and you are given the authority to share the gospel in that place. And there is no better place to do that than in the area that you spend your life. And so nursing, for me, um, I think there's no more vulnerable space to be in for human beings generally than in physical pain or in the, in, in the, the venue of life and death. Um, new life, having a child or something like that, and then death, which is in ICU, a pretty common journey that we go on with patients and family is the journey of the end of life or fighting for uh, your life and so going into medicine 
I, you know, everyone asks you, like, why are you going to do what you're going to do? And like, give me, give me all the reasons. And I would, I had kind of narrowed it down to saying, like, I feel great fulfillment to be the person who can lend comfort or help in potentially a person's worst day of their life or mm-hmm. a family member's worst day um, or worst situation, most uncertain and fearful and painful. Um, and so nursing for me is that. It is very much um, a just a whole wide expanse of things. Um, yesterday at work, my cowork- or my friend after work who I saw said, you're 20% medical provider, you're 80% counselor, you're, you know, 60% um, case management, um, and just just a ridiculous percentage of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be mm-hmm. when you go into a f- medical field. And so that's very much what I've experienced. For me, the workplace that I have found to be the most potent mission field has been my coworkers, honestly. I think having patients and family members be at their most vulnerable um, in terms of interacting with us, but also in <coughs> relationship with their own lives, um, they tend to be more receptive <laughs> to ideas of spirituality and ideas of, well, what is next? And what reassurance do I have that I have a what's next? Mm-hmm. That's easier to for me to interact with then my coworkers who some of them are like I was saying earlier are much older than me have been doing this for 20 30 years um, some of them are atheists um, some of them are just you know they don't really care they just operate in this existence of you know their job their life and that's it um, do you think working at a hospital contributes to that Be- because there's a lot of suffering and absolutely big questions of life absolutely I think the easiest way to not be affected by those things is to harden yourself and to harden your heart or, you know, cope with humor or alcohol or, you know, just not caring or choosing to ignore the questions that are invariably brought up when you bring in suffering and death, um, which is what, yeah, what's next? Why is suffering, you know, a thing? And what is my response to that? They just choose to ignore that. And so... Um, they get very good at it too and so for me working with these people I have built a a fair amount of trust with them because what we do requires you to have the trust of the people that you're working with Mm -hmm. and so to me that was always more to lose if I were to bring up the gospel or bring up God or something as um, troubling as what if we're not it what if we're not the masters of our own universe and we get to decide how we're you know end our lives and there's nothing else out there um what if there is a god who has a say in our lives and you know wants to reach out to us sinful people Mm -hmm. um that to me is a more risky conversation than it is with the patient um to have with a coworker. and so i was noticing that i was avoiding those conversations i was avoiding talking about myself and my faith because if i start talking about myself i'm eventually going to get to my faith because that it's been such that's a, who you are and, yeah it's been such a irremovable part of my life for so long um you know built up in college and kind of reinforced into this is my identity which is awesome but it can be misused um and it can become a something that is 
a risk um, if it's founded in kind of this humanistic view of it. I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking about Jesus at that moment and the fact that I've been raised in church all my life to worship this king of the universe. I was thinking, I've been raised in church all my life. Oh my gosh, they're going to think I'm, you know, some hick homeschooled, like, you know, Baptist child who doesn't know what they're talking about. So, yeah, absolutely, I sucked at it. And so I brought it to those people that I mentioned before um, and my small group and the women in my life who I trust and to call me to the carpet and ask me hard questions and ask them to hold me accountable. And God brought (laughs) COVID-19. And uh, Sorry, guys, I caused the (laughs) pandemic. He brought a pandemic that kind of throws everything on its head and takes away all previous sources of comfort and stability and brings up questions that you're kind of forced to answer about suffering and about uncertainty and about the amount of control we actually have on our lives. Mm-hmm. And he provided some really unique and interesting conversations with coworkers that I would never have had naturally otherwise. And so... Yeah. It, it, it's almost like people don't have an excuse to no longer talk about those things. Yeah. Um, if anything, it sounds to me like this is the best time because around this, especially in, I mean, the medical world, mm-hmm. because you, you're getting to not only interact with the sick and the suffering, also you're having to interact with a lot of death. Mm-hmm. Uh, in another instance, you have to um, interact with seeing how selfish and how self-centered most of us have responded to this so in a lot of ways you get to if anything it just blows this kind of bubble that we have that we're all in control of what's happening and we have control of our lives and here you go to school go to college make your own find a job retire and then you're gone uh to you know, I don't know, laugh at monkeys for the rest of your life until you depart. I don't know. It, it's it's almost, and then we get, we attach heaven to this, right? So in a lot of ways, you you get the best life here and you also get the best life there right. um, without it really demanding anything of you. And and I feel like these kind of, this kind of bubble that we're talking about has been in a lot of ways burst mm-hmm. because it forces us to ask questions about, God, who is he? Is he good? Why is he, why would he allow this to happen? Um, mm-hmm. It forces us to ask questions about our financial systems, mm-hmm. which, you know, a tiny little virus that started in some sort of random market uh, suddenly crashes the stock market, yeah. and a lot of people are losing their retirement on that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And not just that, college too, you know. Uh, yeah. Graduations are canceled. Et cetera. It really does... It has crashed all of our rhythms, and something that I want to ask you is in pertains to in per, pertaining suffering and death and all this stuff. You said that you said you've seen certain of your friends kind of like wrestle with these questions. I'm wondering, have you ever had um, like some sort of faith crisis, or have you ever had to deal with these questions, mm-hmm. and how did you deal with them? Um, one of my um best friends from college actually um she went to Simmons as well um called me the other day on top of this COVID thing um she and her husband are both ER nurses in Fort Worth um and she said that her father had 
just collapsed at work that day and had passed away and he did not have COVID or anything like that. He was completely healthy, active man. Um, and he, you know, died within probably seconds of the event. And so having that happen on top of their jobs in, in COVID-19, um, ER in Fort Worth, which is a high population density. So they've seen a lot, um, it was just, I don't know, the heartbreak that they were feeling and that kind of trans, I don't know, transferred to me was very strong. And I found myself kind of wondering why, because I knew their family very well and I was really close to them, but I, he wasn't my dad. Um, and so I was kind of wondering why I was hit so hard by it. Um, and it kind of was, I've realized having talked about it with some people and, and pondered on it, it's a combination of things. There's often in our lives, um, you know, we think of that one tragedy that causes us to question God or draws us closer to him. We, we think of those massive losses or the sudden natural disaster or something that directly affects us. And for me, I've been blessed, at least in recent years, to not really have any of those major events. But I think the less talked about and honestly more destructive thing is the little little thing and i think satan works so well in taking those tiny little pinpricks to our faith exploiting those little cracks he sees where we are still self-reliant and we think that we've got it together um or that we can be our own god i mean honestly that's what we're doing um and exploiting those and using micro suffering <laughs> to <laughs> coin a phrase um, and then it just takes one instance to kind of topple this construct that you've created about who God is and what you deserve um, and what control you have. And so that was kind of me a couple weeks ago was I was driving to Dallas um, trying to be able to still go to work the next day because I'd left the county. Um, but to go and see that family and just grieve with them for a day. Mm -hmm thinking and being angry and kind of wondering how that girl was going to be handling it because she had to go back to work. She got, you know, her bereavement period, but she had to go back to work. Um, and so there were a lot of questions. It wasn't, it wasn't really a faith crisis, but it certainly removed, I think, this complacency that I had placed and this self-reliance that I had placed around my own faith um, recently. Um, I, I was proud of myself for how well I was handling all of these changes and proud of myself for being um, someone who could um, take the stresses and the suffering of my job and, you know, be functional and, you know, still have joy in life and be competent and kind of removed all of that. Um, but just to say it was a, an incredibly good time. <laughs> so I think mm -hmm. that's something that we need to, in this culture, in this country, readjust our mindsets on is the incredible blessing that suffering can be. That is not to say that those tragedies are good um, or that the hurt and the pain they bring is less, but we serve a God who his gospel never thrived more than in times of incredible suffering and, and persecution and pain um, in the world. And that is true of us in our lives. Um, and that's true of us as we go into our adulthood is a lot of how 
we interact with the world is based on our perspective of the world mm -hmm. and of the reality around us and of who is in control of that world. And so that kind of shook me a couple weeks ago because I had gotten pretty proud and complacent about how I was handling all of this and then got kind of using a horrible situation and brought me back to my knees a little and um, couldn't have come at a better time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, um, I, I love too that, you know, in those... Because I had I had certain moments in my life not pertaining to suffering, but more theological mm -hmm. issues that I felt like led me to have a you know I would say the faith crisis, and and I would love to talk about this extensively, but obviously <laughs> this is not yeah, the yeah, time. Yeah. Um, uh, even though I, I did have them, and it's not particularly a thing of the past. I feel like when you're interacting not interacting but whenever you're just living life and and you run into certain things uh or historical moments like vietnam was one mm -hmm. reason for me that i've been just learning a lot about and it's like oh my gosh this is a terrible 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 time and it forces you to ask a lot of questions and um was exactly what we were talking about whenever we started this conversation there's an aspect in which it's very scary to talk about your doubts and to talk about these sort of dark moments mm -hmm. um, because you it has in some sort of ways it has social ramifications right people yeah. Christians historically right uh, not Christians but evangelicals particularly right like yeah. the realm that we move in have been very 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 um, hesitant to answer some of these questions and if anything they've been to dismiss them. Yeah. Yeah, dismiss them um, and not address them. So in a lot of ways, it, 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 it carries this sort of social stigma to be like, you don't ask those kind of questions. Yeah. But if we don't learn how to, you know, even ask these sort of questions and yeah. ask them in community, yeah. you know, like we were talking about asking for help. Well, this one pertains to that too. Yeah. What does it look like for us to walk through these questions in community with people, yeah. asking them? This is something that I've been wrestling with. I can't reconcile, um, you know, that this God being good with this lady that literally just died in my arms or yeah. my grandparents or my, you know, parents getting divorced or whatever else. It's yeah. so much easier when we do it in community. And you will find, I think, great encouragement in knowing that this is something that all of us have gone through. And if nobody is talking about it, it's not because... Uh, people are not experiencing but rather because people just don't talk about it mm -hmm. but it's really important for us to do so now what does it look like for us to reconstruct faith together that the thing and we were kind of talking about this after college mm -hmm. you know there's an aspect of college that teach you teaches you to question everything yeah. so it's really easy to fall into this trap of deconstruction right which is oh my gosh i no longer know anything that i believe yeah. i question all of my parent, my parents and all the people that have been in my life. And I can't believe that my youth pastor deceived me in that way because he never talked about this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And don't, don't get me wrong. It's important to ask those questions. But progressively, we're always moving towards faith and love for yeah. Jesus. You can deconstruct forever. Uh, deconstruction is a stage. And then you ought to go look for answers to build up. Uh, and those are usually found in scripture, uh, in the lives of other believers mm -hmm. who love and cherish Jesus and, and Jesus and have 
gone through really terrible experiences. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I found that to be very encouraging and helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think having a dependence on um, not just good people around you, but also a dependence on that on the word mm-hmm. um, and understanding, yeah, that whole deconstructionist movement, the whole progressive um, Christianity movement is moving more and more away from the Bible. But I think that the way that Jesus, if we believe in Jesus and we trust him and believe in his character, then he's given us the tools to interpret the Bible um, within the Bible. Um, I think the Sermon on the Mount is a good way to take a frame of reference on how Jesus interprets the Word, and particularly the Old Testament, and um, seeking how it was designed to be relevant across space and time, mm-hmm. um, how it has been tested and approved throughout you know the last thousand years, um, multiple thousands of years, um, is so helpful. Um, I think that creating and building a discipline of reading the word, not just in the reading the word part, but having a discipline um, is very helpful coming out of college. Because going back to what you said about we now are kind of the masters of our own time, that can be incredibly um, nerve wracking, just like kids need like need structure yeah that doesn't change it's just that we become responsible for creating it more and more ourselves um having a discipline in um making the word a staple of your life and making giving it a place such that it it gets to influence the Mm -hmm. way you view reality and interact with it is very as as helpful and as necessary as uh, building relationships that will lift you up Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely Awesome. Well, let's uh, let me ask you this one last question, and then we'll wrap up. Um, anything you wish you had started learning uh, while you were in college uh, that perhaps would have set you up to flourish or succeed after college? I think number one, and this is not even just from college; it's from high school um, and just all the formative years of my life. Is mm-hmm. that people? are think, not thinking about you. They are not judging you nearly as much as you think because they're all more afraid that you're judging them. Like they're more concerned internally than they are about anything that you're doing. Mm. And that should take a weight off. Um, I just think we take so much concern in the opinions of other people um, that it stunts us and it stunts our growth and our joy in situations that should bring it joy. Um, college can seem like such a microcosm and having always the idea that there is something beyond it I think is a helpful thing as, as y'all in college are in college it can be such a bubble and it can be such an isolated or insulated experience um, going out and going and seeing older adults and younger kids and being exposed to that demographic again can be a really freeing experience mm-hmm. and just understanding that you are in this time in college as a preparation for what is to come. It's not just this insulated experience. It is not the peak of your life. There is something more coming, I promise. Um, <laughs> and so I think, yeah, I'm just always looking mm-hmm. forward, striving forward in a way that is seeking after Jesus. And that is going to evolve as you grow. And the needs that you have spiritually are going to change. Um, 
and it's okay if you don't have it together. Like I said, you don't have to be Corey Ten Boom right after you get out of college. That's not an expectation that the Lord has of you. He does expect you, and we are commanded to seek after him. Mm-hmm. And there are tools and resources and people that he is placing in your life right now for that purpose. He's not going to leave you to this to flounder and figure out by yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here. Uh, thank, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope that uh, this episode was helpful. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or would like to be in the loop of what's uh, going on during the week or the summer, uh, send us an email at collegeatthewellabilene.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at the Will College and find uh, information there. So until next time, see you later. Thank you.